if I have not gotten a chance to to meet you yet, my name is Bryce. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Table. Um, I have a I have a good friend of mine named Josh, and Josh is famous. This is this is Josh and his lovely wife, uh, and Josh is famous for three things. Uh, one, he is the hardest man in the world to complete a trade with in fantasy football. Um, two, he does not lose at Settlers of Catan. And three, uh, he has handed back the lowest grade ever given to a university student in the history of mankind. Uh, and those are the three things that Josh is known for. Uh, Josh teaches at, at my alma mater, and one of the classes that he gets assigned is called Principles of Theological Research and Writing. Uh, unfortunately, every year, there, there's always a number of students I've gotten the the privilege to to warn a few of them on the front end, but there's always a number of students that mistakenly enroll in the in the Christian studies program in the theology department, um, thinking that it's going to be an easy A um, because they've been to Sunday school before, uh, and not knowing that it's one of the hardest majors on campus. And so within the program, there's like these like very very strategically placed weeding out classes, and the first of these is principles of theological research and writing, or as we affectionately refer to it PTRW. Um, now, frequently when like professors grade a paper, they have a certain number of points that each aspect of the paper is worth. Uh, so in other words, like the number of points you can lose on any given part is capped. Um, if you're like formatting, it's just atrocious. You can lose 15 points, which is still like a letter grade and a half, but still. Um, if you just like left out footnotes and forgot to do them entirely like you might lose 20 to 30 points on the on the paper you would you'd still fail like you can definitely bomb a paper but if the paper is is good and you just struggle with like certain aspects of it you're at least helped by the caps on each section but on the first of the assignments on the first paper that Josh assigns in PTRW he does not cap anything so whatever you miss gets the proper deduction that it incurs, and the more times that you miss it, the more times the deductions add up. Uh, and I confirmed with him last night, I wanted to make sure that I was giving you accurate, current, up-to-date information. Like Luke writing to Theophilus, I have carefully investigated these things. Uh, and just this past semester, a student actually received a minus 710 on their paper. It shattered the previous record that was in like the minus 530s. And so minus 710 was an assigned, uh, was a grade handed out. And the, the takeaway for students after receiving a grade like this on their paper should be what? Well, like first it should be to ask, am I here for the right reasons? Like, do I need to get out? Because if I'm not, I need to, I need to leave. Um, but for most students, the realization on the assignment should be, wow, I really need this class. Like, I, I better pay attention this semester. Uh, this, this is not a joke. If I don't acquire the skills that this is class is providing, and if I don't acquire them soon, I am not going to make it much longer. And I, I remember exactly what it felt like to be, to be writing that first paper, um, I, I didn't know when I when I first started that the author's name is supposed to be listed first in the footnote, but then it's done last name, comma, first name in the bibliography. Like, how would you know that? Right? I didn't I didn't know how to cite a journal article different from a commentary, different from a volume included in a larger encyclopedia, and that all three of those are different from each other. 
Uh, and and even if even the the few things that I did know that I needed to do, I also like had no idea how to keep Microsoft Word to stop like fighting me every step of the way and automatically reformatting every paragraph that I typed. But like it had to be done. Like the the assignment was given to me. That task had to be done. There was no way around that. I had a I had a due date. And I remember sitting at my computer with that dumb little cursor just blinking on a blank white screen obnoxiously uh just feeling vastly unprepared and not even sure where to begin to to get this done uh, can you think of anything like more burdensome or more exhausting than than being tasked with something that you absolutely must do you ha- you need to do but at the same time something that you absolutely cannot do like maybe your maybe maybe your boss has popped his head in and said like, "Hey, I, I need that uh that 1050e on my desk by Thursday," and you're like, "No problem, sir. Like I will I will have that to you pronto." And then he walks away and you're like, "What the heck is a 1050e? Like I have I never heard of it before." Have you ever found yourself there, like out of your depth, over your head, uh, tasked with something that you you just couldn't do? And feeling the weight and the anxiousness and the the helplessness that comes with all of that. Or like maybe you've even felt this way as we've been walking through the letter from Jude. We've been called to much by Jude in this letter. Contend for the faith. Keep, keep yourselves in the love of God. Build yourselves up in the faith. Have mercy on one another. Uh, snatch your brother from the fire. Maybe this is as as we've been hearing these these exhortations from Jude. Maybe it's left you kind of feeling a little bit hopeless. Like, I I know I need to do those things, but how? Like, I'm I'm struggling to just kind of get through my day. I'm struggling to just make it to the weekend. How can I manage all of this? Hopefully, the close of Jude's letter help helps to bring us some assurance in this matter. Now, saying up front. It does not relieve any of the tension. The tension cannot and should not go away. None of the things that Jude has exhorted us to do are going away. They are no less urgent. We absolutely must do a number of things that, frankly, are outside of our ability. And that tension is going nowhere. Uh, But Jude's benediction here at the end of the letter should help us to understand how this impossible task is possible. As Jude writes, now to him who is able, to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before before all time, now and forever. Amen. This is this really is Jude's benediction. Um, but as he as he brings this letter to a close, let's read more in it than just Jude signing off for the night. This isn't just a customary and they ha- they lived happily ever after tacked on to the end of the letter. These words mean something. They help us help round out our full understanding of what Jude's been teaching us. So let's look at them a little bit more closely. To him who is able to protect you from stumbling. This, uh, this, this benediction is, is addressed to God. It's to him. Now, at the end of the letter, to him, 
glory, he, Jude's about to say, glory and authority and majesty and power be to him. The, the main point of this benediction uh, is, is to ascribe glory and majesty and power and authority to him because he's the one that deserves it. Um, he's, he's the one in whose service uh, and for his, whose glory Jude's been writing this letter. Um, it's, it's his spirit that gave Jude the, the necessary message that he needed to write when he wanted to write a much easier letter in the first place. And, it, and it's him that needs to be praised. Um, who who needs to be praised kind of in contrast to these other parties that we've read about in the letter. The, the false teachers need to be condemned. Uh, Jude's dear friends need to be alerted and need to be warned. Uh, the, those who are falling prey to the false teachers need to be received with mercy, need to be rescued. It's to be, to be praised, to be given glory. And so Jude closes his letter fittingly. But again, let, let, let's look even closer at why Jude ascribes this glory and honor to the Lord. He says, to, to him who is able to protect you. Uh, he, he's the one who keeps us, who protects us. Uh, do better is not the heart of the Christian story. By all means, we, we want to grow in holiness. We want to increase in holiness. We, we strive to keep ourselves. We strive to guard one another. These are the things that we've been reading and striving towards together. This is what Jude's been reminding us. And, and, and he, like, we have actually been freed in Christ to do those things. He has, he has enabled us to do those things. But the only reason that we can do better, the real heartbeat of the gospel, is that he is able to keep you. The only reason that we can do better is because he is able to keep, keep us. Without that, without his keeping, without his protecting, our doing is just filthy rags. Uh, but, but Jude tells us that he's able to keep us from stumbling, that as we contend for the faith, uh, or as, as the writer of Hebrews would say it, as you, as you run with endurance the race that has been set before you, God is able to guard us from stumbling, to able to, able to guard us from faltering. Uh, freedom from stumbling is impossible to achieve by your own will. Uh, it's, it's an impossible task for your merit and your strength. Have, have you ever tried? Like, have, have you ever just sat down and just kind of decided, um, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to mess up this time. I'm going to kick this habit once and for all. Like, I'm not going down that road anymore. Uh, I'm just going to say enough is enough. I'm going to summon up all the willpower that I have. And I'm just going to say, like, that's it. I'm, I'm just going to resolve to be free from stumbling in this area. How did it work? Like, how long did it, did you last? Because, because like that, that kind of approach to just say, hey, like with my own white knuckled grit, I'm just going to decide that I'm, I'm going to do this kind of on my, on my own ability. Sometimes it, it can get us a ways, like in all honesty, sometimes it can, but it only really leads to pride or depression. And honestly, it usually leads to both. Like either you have some early success um, that just kind of goes straight to your head and puffs you up and you become less compassionate and merciful to those that are struggling around you because you're like, well, well look, look at me. I did it. Uh, they must just not want it enough. 
or you like you almost immediately fail and then the whole situation just seems insurmountable and hopeless and you you kind of beat yourself up and the cycle of self-loathing begins when you just kind of consider how quickly your resolve failed you or what is probably the most common experience is that we start off strong we we find a way to avoid some like early opportunities to stumble and then we we stop and congratulate ourselves we rest on our laurels. We grow complacent. Uh, and all of this before falling even harder than we did previously. And, and we repeat that again and again and again until ultimately we just we just kind of crash and give up. If, if the message of Jude, at the end of the day, if the message of Jude is find a way to make sure you never stumble, then we are hopeless. But the good news is that's not Jude's message. That's not what Jude calls us to. He, he's concluding this letter by telling us that God is the one that keeps us from stumbling. But not only, is, not only is he the one who keeps you, he's actually able to keep you. He can do it. Uh, I think, um, if I'm just being honest, I think too often we treat falling into sin like just an inescapable in inevitability that we're just simply fated to fail in. That for the rest of our lives, we will always just be sinners who keep sinning over and over and over. And, and there's, there's some truth in that, right? Like we will always struggle with the reality of sin and temptation on this side of Christ's return. That is always going to be a present reality for us. But it's not a hopeless losing battle. And we far too often treat it like it is. Listen to what Jude is saying. He is able to protect you from stumbling. He, he means that. He means that God is able to do this. Uh, right now in the, in the NFL, this is the time of the year that we, where we say that the coaching carousel starts spinning. Uh, most teams have been eliminated at this point. Their seasons are over. Uh, a number of coaches that, didn't that underperformed have been fired. Um, those new vacancies are probably going to get filled by guys from other teams, which is going to create even more vacancies, hence why it's called the carousel, because it just spins around. Um, but also, like every time there's a lot of new coaching hires, there's a lot of new introductory press conferences. You have to to introduce this new guy who's being tasked with turning your franchise around and leading the team, leading your beloved team to victory, right? And this is what you never hear in an introductory press conference. You never hear, hey, everyone, I'm uh, glad to be here, like thankful for the opportunity to coach this team. I mean, at least to try to coach this team. Like, I'm not always the best at coaching, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll give it the old college try. Like, we'll do our best to win. Um, or at least, I mean, we'll try to not lose by a lot. Like, we'll try, we'll do our best to keep it a close game. How about I tell you that? Um, I mean, you guys did lose a lot last year. And, like, I'm actually only available because I also lost a, last, a lot last year where I was before. Um, so, like, we're really just losers and losers lose right? Like, it's just what they do. So like, we're going to try to win, but you know, we'll probably just keep losing. Like it's part of the game. Like as long as football has been played and the sport continues every game, someone has to lose and someone's got to be that someone, right? So like, thanks for having me. Can't wait to get started. Let's try to win a championship or probably like more realistically, like shoot for 500. Like that is not how introductory press conferences happen. Why not? Well, like, 
you would never hire a coach that believed any of that. Your team would be doomed from the start. But, but how many, if we're honest, like how many of us act that way about our sin? How many of us say like, it's just what we do, but like, I don't know, shoot for 500, I guess. How many of us talk about that, talk like that about our stumbling and say, we're human. It, sinning is just what we do. We're going to try not to, but it, you know, it's going to happen. It's probably going to happen a lot. It's just the way that it is. Everyone does it. So yeah, let's, let's run the race set before us, or at least like walk in the general direction. <laughs> like it, we laugh, but it's, it's tragic. Um, when our calling is to be like Jesus is, and we settle for, let's try to only sin in small ways. We're shooting so far short of the target. Why aren't we giving and entrusting ourselves to the one who's actually able to get the job done? Instead, we, we read these words. We read, he is able to protect you from stumbling. And we think, and like, maybe you read this passage and you've been thinking the very same, th- same thing. You think, without stumbling, like... I don't know. That sounds like a tall task. That sounds a little unrealistic. Maybe it should be more like uh, he's able to help you become a little less stumbly. But but it's not. Like Jude's language here is hopeful. And if and if this part of the verse isn't hopeful enough, he goes from here to say, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish. Like literally to the 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 word is to stand you. Not to not to help you or assist you or to make it feasible for you to stand yourselves, but to to accomplish the active verb himself. He is able to stand you, to establish you in the presence of his glory. Consider the weight of that. Right before Christmas, we we talked about this when we were walking through John one. We were we were considering the mystery that no one has ever seen God, and yet in Christ we have observed His glory. And we we read the passage when God has to hide Moses in the rock and cover him with His hand as His glory passes by, because it just would have been unsafe for Moses to see Him in His fullness. In other words, God, God's glory is too great and overwhelming for us to handle. No one no one can survive it let alone stand in front of it. And yet here's Jude saying that he stands us in the presence of his glory. And and not only does he make you stand, but he makes you stand without blemish. Like if you, if you found yourself balking at the at the terminology of protected from stumbling, thinking that Jude should have softened it something to to help you stumble slightly less, then how much stronger is this language? What what are we going to do with this language to, to stand you in the presence of his glory without blemish? That's pretty hard to soften. How on earth could we be there without blemish? We all have blemishes. Like we have blemishes as despair. Our blemishes have blemishes. How, how can Jude say to, that, that he makes us stand without them? This is actually the crux of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. We can be presented to God before his glory. We can be presented by God before his glory without blemish because Christ was first presented in our place before God without blemish. Jesus's not stumblingness. Jesus's without blemishness 
becomes ours. We only have it because we've been given his. His merit has been made our own. Paul tells us that that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That Jesus had no sin, but our blemishes and our stumbling were transferred to his account. And this was so that we might become the righteousness of God, because we had no righteousness. And so Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' unblemishedness, was credited to our account. A, f- a few weeks ago, we were sitting around the table, and, and Coleman was kind of absentmindedly, like, just pushing his food around on his plate. And he, he looked up and said, So, Dad, let me get this straight. Jesus never did anything wrong. But he died on the cross to take all the wrong things that we've ever done. I was like, yep, check. Like, that's it. And then he's like, and then he gives us all the good things that he's ever done. And I was like, yes, like he sure does. And he like puts his fork down and just looks at me and says, and he's okay with that? And he he is. He is okay with that. Before time began, he knew that was the arrangement, and he made us anyway. According to Jude, he's actually more than okay with that, because Jude says that he does it with great joy. This phrase, with great joy, modifies the Lord, the one who is able. In other words, he, he doesn't do these things begrudgingly. He's able to protect you from stumbling. He's able to stand you in his glory without blemish, and it's his joy and his pleasure to do so. Just like it was Christ's joy to accomplish them in the first place. Jesus doesn't reluctantly say, like, fine, whatever, I'll protect them from stumbling and make them stand without blemish. He does it with great joy. For the joy set before him, Christ entered the cross. So what what is the good news? for us in in these verses. Uh, One, God is the one who does these things. Two, he's able to do these things. He's capable and competent to do these things. And then three, he does them with great joy. Uh, How do we need to respond to that? How do we need to respond to the reality of those three things? I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to confess and repent where where we have failed to believe this. We have to confess and repent where we have neglected to act on this. What are are some ways that we could get this wrong? I think this is always a helpful question to ask. Like, if we aren't believing what Jude writes here, what might it look like in our lives? Just like a, a doctor studying how different illnesses might present in different patients, this is a helpful question for all of us as we learn to diagnose our own hearts. What different symptoms can this manifest with? Neglecting this might look like, it might might mean treating sin like an inevitability that we frankly can't do much about. If we, we already talked about this a little bit, if we disregard Jude's warning to guard ourselves and we disregard his encouragement here that God is able to protect us, uh, we could just resign ourselves. We could just kind of take the L and stop trying. Are, are there ways that, that you are close to doing that? Are there ways that you have done that, that you've just kind of resigned yourself to stumbling along carelessly? Maybe you've tried to keep yourself from sin, but it didn't work. So you just kind of figure, why waste the effort? 
Like if it's just an impossible task at the end of the day, it's way easier to just kind of bring the bar down a few notches. But that's not what God wants for for us. That's not what he that's not what he wants for us. He doesn't want you living in the aftermath of your stumbling. Th- think about the kid who is like just learning to tie his shoes. He's not very good at it, right? Um, and so his shoes just tend to come untied. One response that he could have would be to say like, they always come untied. Why tie them anymore? And then he could go around with laces flying everywhere and he could just live with all of the bruised knees and scraped elbows that result from tripping over his shoelaces. But his his dad would rather his son come to him with his poorly tied shoes and say, dad, can you fix these? Because dad's been tying shoes for years. That dad is able to tie the shoes in a way that keep them that way, where they don't keep coming untied. If that's you, if you are the kid walking around with carelessly untied laces, take time to confess that today. Go to your heavenly father and ask for help tying your shoes. You don't have to keep smacking your face on the sides of doors that you keep tripping through because your shoes are untied. There, there is someone who really is able to protect you from stumbling, and he wants to. It's his joy to do so. We, uh, we might also miss Jude's point um, if, we, if we kind of respond with like a desperate attempt to prove our own innocence. Uh, have you been grasping to present yourself blameless? Like, I, I'm going to just do whatever I need to do to present myself blameless. Uh, determined that this time I'm just going to figure it out. This time I will prove it. We can't. It, it doesn't work. Or, or maybe, maybe you even know that. Like, maybe you know that you aren't going to achieve blamelessness. But then the thought's like, but I could at least present myself blameless. Even if I'm not going to achieve blamelessness, I could at least kind of present myself that way. I, I might still have blemishes, but at least I could like work really hard on the big outward ones and then try to conceal the less conspicuous ones. This also isn't what God wants for you. Uh, fighting sin isn't an inevitable losing battle. Fighting sin on your own is an inevitable losing battle. But being presented without blemish in God's, before God's glory, clothed in the mercy of Jesus, clothed in his merit, that is the most freeing reality imaginable. That is not an inevitable losing battle. Presenting, presenting yourself to others without, blem, without blemish, like presenting yourself blameless, is really just exhausting, isn't it? I mean, have you guys tried to, like, present yourself blameless before? Like, PR consultants get paid very handsomely to present people without blemish. Like, they manage celebrity images. They, they find a way to kind of spin blemish, blemishes into the most positive light, right? And they get paid well to do it because it's an exhausting job. Are you just hiring yourself to be your own 24-7 PR manager, getting paid nothing and still exhausted from it? Like, I feel like that's the world that we live in a lot of the time. Confess these things before the Lord. It's not what he wants for us. Give ourselves instead to the one who actually really can present us blameless. 
An- another way that we could neglect this passage is by by taking it upon ourselves to fix everybody else's blemishes. Like, and maybe you hear that and you're like, oh, I know people that are like that. Not me, but I know people that are like that. If you're honest with yourself, here's a diagnostic question for you. If you're honest with yourself, do you feel like everything would work better if everyone was just a little bit more like you? Now, like I listen, I already showed you guys my new like giant bluey water cup. So I'm just going to embrace the fact that my like great love for this family of cartoon dogs is no secret. And I'm just going full send. Um, But there's this really subtle moment in an episode of Bluey uh, where they're playing cell phones with their neighbor. And the little the little neighbor dog Judo pretends to answer her cell phone. And she's like, Oh, hello, dear. Like, you will never believe what happened to me, What the kind of day that I'm having. I went to the bake shop to get some cream puffs, and wouldn't you believe it, they were out of cream puffs. So I asked them about scones, and they were out of scones, too. Like, what is the world coming to? How do you—you can't run a bake shop like this. This is no way to run a business. And she goes on and on kind of about these things, about like a few different subjects like this, just kind of venting about all of the different people in her day and how they could have done the different things better. But the subtle insinuation for parents watching this show is that like, that's what Judo thinks that cell phone conversations are like, because that's the kind of conversations that she hears her mom, Wendy, having all day on the phone. Are, Are we prone to that? Like, are we prone to that kind of talk, to these types of attitudes? Do you wait in line at Tim Hortons thinking like, give me 20 minutes as the manager here and I would have them squared away with how to clean up this operation? Like, how about, how about with our friends and with our families or, or with our church? We're, we're convinced that we see all of the blemishes in 4K clear clear as day and and if they would just listen to me they w- they wouldn't have to stumble through all of this if everyone would just see what i see then we could we could do this so much better and and maybe you even kind of like rationalize this with like I- i'm not being judgmental like i'm saying these things out of care and concern if they don't heed these warnings i'm worried for them if your concern leads you to confront someone more frequently than it leads you to pray for them, you are forgetting Jude 24 and 25. We, by all means, should be concerned for one another. But if our concern makes us try to fix things more often than it leads us to take those concerns to the one who is able to fix things, we're missing these these verses to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to our only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We don't need to be the self-appointed blemish removers. That is not what God wants for us. Confess these things and instead give glory and authority to the one who really is able. And regardless of which way this this, uh, disbelief shows itself in our heart, it it would be wise for all of us to, to consider the question, how many of the things that we give ourselves to are capable? Like think about all of the things that you give yourself to in a week. 
that you give yourself to every day, how many of them are actually able, have the ability to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless? Whether you give yourself to, to your job, to your family, to finances or food or sports or Netflix, whether you give yourself to physical fitness or mental health or whether you give yourself to, to a love of money or a pursuit of pleasure and comfort or to, to pornography or fear or anger or any other number of enslaving sins that can, that can ensnare us and entangle us. How many of those things have actually demonstrated any kind of ability to keep you or guard you or make you able to stand. Because it seems like we just give ourselves to a lot of things that offer very little in return. Like, even the things that provide some short-term benefit, like our career or our, our fitness, they're really shaky grounds to, like, build a foundation on. They still offer very little ability to keep us when, like, one economic downturn or one tragic diagnosis could take them out. Even the, like, the really good things like family and friendships and community that, that do provide some, some real substantive care for us, they still fall, fall really far short of presenting us blameless in glory which is the the second way that I think we need to to respond to this text. Like after we confess these things and repent of them, I think the second thing we have to do is take comfort in God's ability to do just that. All the things that aren't done, that aren't accomplished by the other things we give ourselves to, take comfort in the fact that he has all of that ability that they lack. Take comfort because he is able he keeps you from stumbling. He presents you blameless. And he doesn't just try to do these things. He does. He's capable and competent and qualified to do them. Take, take comfort in the beautiful truth that if you belong to Jesus, if your life has been surrendered to him as the king, then the merit of Christ is credited to you. This is, this is why we sing regularly here. All sufficient merit, shining like the sun, a fortune I inherit by no work that I have done. My righteousness I forfeit at my Savior's cross, where all sufficient merit did what I cannot. It's done. It is finished. There is no more debt I owe. It's paid in full. He is all sufficient. His merit is now our own. Take comfort in that in his ability to keep you. And then in that comfort, let, let's continue to do the things that Jude has appealed to us to do. Let's continue to contend for the faith, to snatch others from the fire, to hate the garment defiled by the flesh. But, but let's do all of it in great humility. Because, like, we are not able to keep our brothers and sisters or ourselves from stumbling or to present them blameless, but he is. Rejoice that he is able to do that. How sweet would it be if we actually did this? If we actually gave all glory and majesty and power and authority to God that was his due, knowing that he's the one who's able to keep us and stand us. How, how great would it be to actually be able to entrust yourself to someone who is able to do all the things that you absolutely must, but absolutely can't.
the the response after that first PTRW assignment that we were given wasn't to to crumble the paper and throw it in the trash and then just give up and walk away from the class dejected. The response was to be keenly aware of my own inability and to entrust myself to the professor who was teaching the class. To, to lean on his mastery of the subject matter and have confidence that he had the ability throughout the semester to confer on me whatever qualifications that I needed, N- not because of my ability, but because of his. I lacked it. He didn't. He was sufficient in the subject. How great would it be to actually be able to fight a winning battle against your sin instead of a depressing, endless cycle of hu- futility that we find ourselves in too often? I I was talking about this earlier this week with Cliff Flint, uh, and he said, when you are in the middle of a legal battle, you hire the best lawyer you can find. And that's true, right? You hire the best lawyer you can find. How would you feel if you were accused of a crime that you didn't commit, and before the trial, you met with your defense attorney, and he said, well, when we lose this case, and you're like, hang on, like, what do you mean when we lose? And he's like, I mean... It's not a matter of if, but when we lose. Uh, like, you're the defendant. That's just what defendants do. They lose. Like, I'm not a very good attorney. Losing cases is what I do. So put you and me together and we just lose. But like, you know, we'll make the best of it, I guess. Like, you wouldn't be ready to go into court with that guy in your corner. You'd be saying, like, get me a new attorney yesterday. But again, this is the approach that we take with our battle against sin all the time. How great would it be if we actually had someone who was able to protect you and able to present you blameless? How freeing would it be to not carry all of that weight on our own shoulders? What kind of, what kind of humility would be produced in you if you stopped trying to carry that weight on your own shoulders? If you knew and and believed and behaved like every good thing that was found in you was only a result of God's ability and actually like in spite of your own, what kind of a blessing would that kind of humility be around those around you? Have you guys ever like realized how obnoxious weight loss commercials are? Like, do you know why they're so obnoxious? It's because the tone of them is always everything that everyone has ever told you is a lie. But I, Dr. Metabolism, have unlocked the secrets to the human body. Like, if you follow my nine steps to a healthier you, you will finally achieve the ideal human physique that up until now only I have been able to obtain. That's what all of them sound like. That's vastly different from your friend that comes to you and says, hey, I found this new workout, this new workout and and diet and man it works and if it it worked for me it can work for anybody because i am the worst like that strikes you way different than the person's like you have finally found me the one who has all of the answers how much better would it be for the people around us if our care for them was about god's ability to protect them and not ours let us be a people of humble confidence of humble confidence Humble, because the ability is all his. And confidence, because all ability is his. Right? So, so that in our joy, we can experience our God also in his great joy, protecting and presenting us and our loved ones in the presence of his glory by the blood of Jesus.
This, this is what Jude calls us to. This is how Jude ends the letter. So let, let's pray. And then let's take a few minutes, a few moments to reflect and consider how the Lord would have us to respond to his word. Would you pray with me?